Hello, everyone, and welcome to For the Good of the Game, a unique football podcast dedicated to providing football insights and life skills as shared personally by NFL alumni. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, good morning, guys. Welcome to another episode of For the Good of the Game. John Davis coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona, where today we are really blessed and honored to have David Diaz Infante as our guest. Uh, I've known David for a number of years for our previous involvement with the uh, organization that we ran camps for. And uh, when I sought him out, knowing how busy he was, it was really a blessing that he could fit time in. Uh, David's a native of San Jose, California. He played at high school ball at Bellarmine Prep and then went on to play college ball at San Jose State University. And uh, one of the things I want to focus on is uh, today is the, the career path that David was on because I think it's unique and I think it demonstrates something that is very valuable for young people to learn. So first and foremost, David, thanks a lot for being here today. Really it's good to see you, you John. My pleasure. Great to see you, too. It's been or a few JD, years. Or J.D., as yeah. I'm accustomed to calling you. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I want to... Uh, I want to kind of recognize something first off, and we talked about this briefly uh, off camera, but uh, for those that that don't know, and I'm sure this will come up again, but I was literally having a conversation with you several months ago talking about uh, the, the podcast, and, and, uh, and part of it was mentorship because I was seeking your opinion and your guidance because you've had uh, a lot of time in front of the camera as a radio and TV personality. So... Um, it was interesting because we talked about the byline of this podcast was going to be for the good of the game. And uh, it turned out that that uh, hit me as being so profound. We changed the name. So thank you very much. I, I, <laughs> I owe you that. Well, you never know uh, where ideas uh, are going to come from. So, exactly. Uh, my exactly. pleasure. I'm glad to see it because I, I love that. I love yeah. the tagline. Well, and, and, the, and the name of the podcast, actually. And and for me, it's, it's about, um, you know, how can we bring some goodness through guys that have uh, – played and coached at the highest level, and, and share some of those nuggets in the vein of for the good of the game that young people, and in my mind, many parents today, need to hear in terms of all the things that are going on in the landscape of football um, with everything from you know kids just getting bigger and faster, therefore the risk goes up with concussions and all that kind of stuff. So we can touch on some of that as we go through. Um, I, I wanted to start out by uh, just allowing you, as they say, to start at the beginning and talk a little bit about because uh, leading up to the, the path uh, that that led you to uh, be, you know, a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos, um, starting, you know, whether it's Pop Warner High School, whatever, it just kind of walk us back through your journey in football, getting up to that point. Well, I tell you what, it's uh, certainly has been and continues to be a, a unique journey. Um, my father didn't play football. Uh, I wasn't brought up in that environment like mm-hmm. the environment my son was brought up in. My father's from Mexico and was a boxer and a weightlifter and a political revolutionary, so my upbringing was a little bit different. Uh, I started to play when I was 10 years old and actually wanted to play when I was nine. I had to ride myself. I ride my bike by myself down to the park. I remember looking up to the, uh, the coaches, coaches, and it was, his name was Lou Reed. And I remember because he's a big big black guy and he was just had this big voice and I looked up to him and I told him I said sir I'm, I'm here to play football I want to sign up and he goes well you know how old are you and I said well I'm nine years old and he says you got to be 10 I go but I'm 90 pounds because I knew that was the limit and he goes well you're gonna have to come back next year and I Bummer. said eh. so but what I do I came back next year at the age of 10 <laughs> and started go. playing football but immediately it's one of the things I fell in love with uh, I, I found the game to be honest and fair. 
you got rewarded for what you did. It didn't matter what color you were, whether you're rich or poor, black, white, brown, or yellow. The game doesn't care. Uh, the game rewards you based on your effort and your input and, and your ability to um, to persevere and tough things out. And, and I got that at a very young age. And at that time, my father was in jail. Um, and, and so it, it provided a really good outlet for me uh, because a lot of things you don't understand on the outside world. But sure. Everything I did understood, and I used to call it later on in my life, uh, my life through a face mask. Like, I understood that. I understood the rules. I got the game, and I knew what it takes to succeed in it. And that kind of fueled that fire at a very young age, and uh, it just led me to the path I was on. I ended up playing Pop Warner football um, all the way up until I couldn't, and then played at Bellarmine College Prep as a freshman. Uh, went on a work scholarship. Uh, my brother played football, and that's really the reason why I started. And uh, at Bellarmine, you know, I was afforded uh, the ability uh, to receive a, an incredible education by the Jesuits. My father was a Jesuit, educated in the seminary in Mexico. Uh, and it's always meant a lot to me. The Catholic Church has been really good to our family as well. I um, always felt a great deal of indebtedness to them for what they did for our family when we, need, when we needed it. Uh, and at Bellarmine, the same continued. And we were fortunate to have be surrounded by a lot of great people mm-hmm. um, at the school, on the team, being held to a higher standard, uh, discipline, uh, learning the right principles to not only play the game, but the real game absolutely. Uh, uh, of, of life, life, right? Yeah, uh, going on to college and everything else. And, and we were successful. We had uh, we were 13 to know my senior year, and you know I was all American in high school and all this and all that, and and we had a uh, you know a very good football team, California State champs and number four in the country. And everyone assumed that I was going to be able to go anywhere I wanted to go. And somehow I fell through the cracks again and only had two offers. Um, and the one was the San Jose State and the other was the Santa Clara University, another Jesuit Division II college. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. At that point, um, I could have walked on to Cal. I could have done that. But I wanted a scholarship. It's what I wanted. Uh, because I came from a family and I could have qualified for financial aid and everything else. But... I wanted football to pay for my education. And sure enough, uh, Jack Elway came. And an interesting story because Jack Elway is a name that's going to be, uh, ha- has been and was a constant for me throughout the course of my career. Because uh, every once in a while when you're on your way, there's always people that are there for you. I don't care if it's sure. your father, your mother, your uncle, your neighborhood, your coach. Sure. In many cases. Yeah, in many cases. I don't care who it is. There's always someone there that's an advocate for you, uh, whether you realize it or not. And so Jack became one of those. And I remember thinking in myself, my 18-year-old mind, you know, we didn't have a very nice house. My dad's from Mexico. What are they going to be able to talk about? Um, all those fears, right? And it's false evidence appearing real, right? And and here I was in my mind. I remember thinking, oh, they're coming over to sign you know, what are they going to talk about? What are, You know, all those things, all the noise, right? Sure, sure. And, and I was a pretty sharp young kid, but it didn't matter. Those were my fears because I wanted it really bad. See, that's when fear attacks you. And I remember thinking I'm late coming up there. What what, what am I going to walk into, right? 
do you think, I, I don't want to interrupt your train of thought, but do you think that that's, because that's a very common theme with a lot of people, you know, the voices in your head, you know, mm-hmm. and, and I don't mean that in, in the typical funny way, you know, I hear voices. I mean, it, it's we all have our own story that we tell ourselves. Do you think for you it was more of a, um, uh, the, the reality of a desire to achieve as well as that scholarship provided some validation for, for the way you came up and, and what you went through to get there? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think those, both those things were uh, factors in, in my head. Because when you want something really bad, you're, sometimes you're afraid. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, if it doesn't happen. And that's okay. I've learned over the years that's okay. That's when great things happen. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and so, and football taught me that lesson. And I remember walking home, uh, walking into the house that night, and there was my dad and Jack Elway in our living room. Like I said, our house wasn't very nice. And they were having a great time, having a cigarette together, having a drink together. And I sat there and I let it go, Jack doesn't care about my house. Jack didn't care about the stuff I was worried about. Jack cared about me as a person. Mm-hmm. He wanted me to play football for him. Absolutely. And when he offered a scholarship, I told him, hey, look, I go, Coach, you will never regret the day you gave me the scholarship. And, uh, and and I think I held that, uh, kept my word to him. Ended up starting four years at San Jose State. Uh, was an All-American there. And we went on to uh, win the California Bowl mm-hmm. in 1986. Um, and, you know, I was a team captain and first team all West Coast and uh, I think was a good leader and led the biggest turnaround in college football that year. Went from two eight and one my junior year to ten and two, and being nationally ranked and number twenty in the country. So uh, all those things kind of played into that. And Jack ended up leaving and going to Stanford, um, which was okay. And Claude Gilbert took over. But then once again, everyone thought, "Wow, you're going to get drafted." I remember t- people telling me after walking off the bowl game, you know, and ended up not getting drafted. Uh, and, and once again. You know, I, I've always kind of had that journey. It's a, I always call it my blue-collar journey through the NFL, and it certainly was that, but it didn't make it any less. I think it made it even better for myself because the things I had to learn, you know, and I never forget because on draft day, my other left tackle, who was a very, very good player as well. Sure. You know, the newspapers wanted to come. He goes, come on over at my house. You know, the newspapers want to be there. Want to, you know, celebrate for when we get drafted. And I'm going, oh, I don't know about this. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, and it was John Avenetti. And I, I always remember that because we ended up going over his house. And sure enough, neither one of us got drafted. And the picture on the front of the sports page that next day was John and I in his kitchen with the phone. You know, the phones that were on the wall with the long cord. Sure. Everybody <laughs> <laughs> else remembers those. That's when I start to age myself and date myself. But certainly, the picture said, waiting for the call, dot, dot, dot. It never came. And I cut that picture out, and I put it on my front door in my apartment. So I had to look at it every morning when I got up and work out when I was training uh, to try and get a tryout, an invite to camp, or anything like that. And I almost didn't get that. And here I was, a four-year starter. I've always been able to play the game because I know what the game's about. I think I threw that out as a young kid. I think that's one of the things early on that uh, drew me to you and your coaching style so much is because there are, as you and I both know, and we probably both experienced it as players, just because someone can play the game of football does not necessarily mean intuitively that they can coach the game of football. 
And when I saw you coaching the very first time, the degree to which you broke down things in fundamental language and took a PhD level understanding of the game down to whatever level the kids you were coaching was, whether they were middle school or high school. And that's a, that's a talent and a skill because kids need to be able to uh, make that association for the level they're at right then and then move forward with that knowledge and try and improve the fundamentals in their technique. Um, I want to go back to something you said just a minute ago and, and then uh, make sure we get into the, uh, as I call it, the kind of circuitous, circuitous journey that you went through to get uh, to that first starting job. Other than coming off the field your senior year, having won the bowl game and being ranked 20th in the nation and all that, when somebody, when you started hearing rumblings of, hey, you're going to be drafted, um, at what point at any time during that journey from Pop Warner Ball all the way through your senior year at San Jose State, did you ever have an inkling or a desire in the back of your mind, hey, I'm going to play pro football, or was it always just about where you were more of in the present moment? Oh, I think both were there. Really? Yeah, I always wanted to play. I always thought I could. Sometimes you got to keep those things your, yourself. Yeah. But I always knew I could play, and I wanted to play. Um, I love the game. Uh, I like everything it represents. Um, I, I just knew what it I, – I figured out what it took to play. The game taught me that, that that's what the game's about. And one of the great things about teaching in those camps was it really made me a better coach because I realized not only my coach – if I could break it down to a eighth grader, a high school kid, then you really have to know it. And it has to be presented in a clearer – clear and concrete fashion. But the other thing I realized is I wasn't just teaching them football. I was teaching them to develop their mind, proper thinking. See, because champions think differently. I agree. There's a different mindset. There's a different mentality. There's a growth mindset, if you're familiar with that. I'm sure you are. Absolutely. Um, that I didn't realize it was called that back then, but I understood that I was there. I was learning. I was learning as I was coaching. I was learning as I was playing. And so as a result of that, I became tougher and smarter. And I knew as long as I kept playing, I can get better. Because you can always get smarter, wiser, stronger. Well, and I think you also touched on it uh, in, when you were talking about listening to those voices in your head. Because I think all of us, I know, you know, starting this podcast initially, it was like, well, you know, for me, you have that. Well, why does anybody want to hear what I have to say? Well, it's not about me. It's about the people I can interview and the goodness and the and the knowledge that they can share. I'm just the medium, you know. And to me, some you know, you hit on a minute ago, and I want to really reinforce for especially youth coaches because I haven't coached at a level or played at a level that would give me the uh, credibility to talk about this. But I've got 20 plus years of coaching youth football, and it's it's about coaches. It's very important what David said a minute ago to be able to break that down and and teach kids at the very basic level. And a lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people talk over the heads of the kids they're coaching. Coaching, and you lose kids in the process. So it's very, very big on focusing on fundamentals. Um, when, when you, I want to take that leap forward now. You've been through that experience and been given this fuel, so to speak, of cutting that uh, article out from the paper and putting it on your door. And now you've got, uh, for lack of a better term, my words, not yours, a chip on your shoulder going forward. Now, you, you get uh, try out with the Chargers in 87 as a free agent and uh, play a few games and then end up taking a few steps back and, and 
well, maybe not back laterally, if you will, uh, playing for the Frankfurt Galaxy, the uh, Sacramento Gold Miners, prior to signing with the Denver Broncos. And, and I made this point in, in, uh, when we were talking off camera. Um, at the time that you made your first start as a full-time player, you at that time in the league's history, you were the oldest guy to have started in that position at age 31. Um, and so I want to I go back and say, okay, from the point at which you came out of San Jose State to the point at which you actually made that first start and, and have arrived by maybe society and NFL's, everybody outside of you looking at its view, mm-hmm. um, that was a, a little bit of a circuitous journey. And you just touched on it. You know, Carol Dweck's book, Mindset, is, is a tremendous, it's all about uh, lifelong learning. And if you believe that everything you do can teach you a lesson and everybody you meet can teach you something, I think that you continue to grow. And that's really what you were getting at. So I want to I talk about your grit and determination. I mean, that's my word and my words in terms of what you went through, what you demonstrated, holding fast to that dream and that belief inside that you understood the game, you loved the game, and that you were going to play. During that process from 87 to 96, you know, Talk, and I know that's a big span it's of years, a but span, yeah, yeah. yeah, talk a little bit about those those steps, both baby and large, that you took to get to that point to ultimately become a Super Bowl champion. Uh, well, certainly. So after my short stint, cup of coffee with the San Diego Chargers, uh, and that was playing during the strike, mm-hmm. uh, I ended up signing with the Rams, and that was in 88 and 89, and really played some of my best football. And that's where I got to know Hudson Houck because he challenged me and he made me better. Uh, the bad thing that happened when I played my best football is I ended up getting hurt both years, and it cost me my job as a free agent. Um, first time I, I uh, hyperextended my elbow real bad. We were scrimmaging Dallas. Um, and any time when you're a free agent, you miss time. That's critical time. Uh, and then the next year, the job was mine to back up Doug Smith, who's a friend of mine to this day. Uh, I was playing basketball, and 10 days before camp, I broke my ankle. I didn't know it was broken. I know it was a really bad sprain. I tried to make it through camp, had it shot up. It was ugly. And I was severely disappointed. Uh, and in, in my older man's eyes, I realized, looking back on it, that it was a temporary circumstance. But I thought I was done. My roommate got picked up by the Seahawks. I was on my way to rehab. I didn't think I was going to get another shot. I was I was disappointed. And I've learned that's okay. It's okay to be disappointed. And then I end up moving up to Seattle. And the good news that came out is I ended up meeting my wife. He goes, ah, don't go to Hawaii rehab. You're going to blow your money and um, move up there. I don't want to move up there by myself. And I said, his name is Warren Wee. He actually lives here in Phoenix. Uh, and uh, we still talk every once in a while to this day. In fact, he goes, I owe you my first job in the NFL. You wouldn't have got hurt. I wouldn't have been there. <laughs> I go, well, I'll give you that. I go, that's right. So we've been good friends ever since. But I ended up meeting my wife up there, worked at a gym, thought I was done. Trained early in the morning. Went. For, he said I couldn't go from 300 to 270 in a month. So I did that. Then I went all the way down to 255. Ended up meeting my wife and uh, ended up coming back to finish up my degree at San Jose State. And then I was coaching there. And then next thing you know, the World League started. And so um, Jack Elway, the familiar name and voice uh, in my journey, um, called me up and he goes, look, he goes, I want you to come play for me. The World League's starting. He goes, you can coach when you're done playing. He goes, you're not done playing yet. I said, all right. And so um, I ended up playing there and 
I would play in the spring, and I would coach at San Jose State in the fall. So football has been a big part of my life, and I did that for two years, and the league folded. And there I was again, without a job, thinking about what I'm going to do. You know, and I, one thing that really helped me along my journey is I always worked outside of it. Whether I was coaching, I substitute taught, I worked for a title insurance company, and everyone always supported my pursuit of my career. Um, and so, including my wife, she was my biggest advocate always, and uh, that really came into play in the in the next few years because I went through and I was coaching San Jose State, and also the Niners called up and. They're going, hey, you know, why don't you come try out for us? And here I am now. I'm getting. I thought was a little bit older. <laughs> I didn't realize how much more I had left in the tank. <laughs> but uh, uh, my agent got me a tryout. I didn't even have a contract when I went there. And one of the players I coached at San Jose State was in camp. He kept calling me coach. I'm going, hey, 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 hey Penny, I'm not coach here. All right. <laughs> that's funny. That's uh, yeah, all perspective. Kind of but that's where I got to know Bob McKittrick and the 49ers. Very good team that year in 1993 after the World League um, with Jesse Sapulo, Randy Cross, all those guys. It was George Seifert's first year. Uh, they went on to win the Super Bowl that year. Um, I ended up getting a contract that summer to go to camp. And, you know, there's a 99% chance you're going to get cut, right? And human nature tells you not to do that. I don't care who you are. And the other thing is the local paper wanted me to write a journal on my experience. Wow. And so there's two things. Do I do this or don't I do this? Well, I may not get another chance. In my own backyard, in my hometown, where you know, everyone knew me. Sure. There was no hiding, <laughs> slipping onto the roster. And then I'm going to write a journal about it in the paper. But I said, yes, I did it anyways. And uh, I think that's an important lesson, that fear we were talking about. Mm -hmm. um, it's okay. It's okay to do it. Do it anyways. Right? I had to redefine. That's one thing I learned throughout my careers. How do I redefine success for myself? I go, the only way I can fail is if someone outworks me. And that's when training camp was up in Rockland. It was 120 degrees. It was brutal. And training camp was, was a lot different back then. And sure enough, little by little, I found little ways to win. That's the other thing you got to do. Give yourself a chance to succeed. I found little ways to win. I'd be the first guy at breakfast. I'd be the first guy at training table. I go, I'm, I'm winning. I won. Those are little victories for me. Absolutely. That's why I stacked them every day. And all of a sudden, everyone started to notice. Every time I turn on the field, you're the first guy on the field. You're the last guy off the field. You're the first guy in meetings waiting outside. And those things happened. And people started noticing. And I remember Ralph Tam, dear friend, friend of mine to this day, who played 12, 13 years in the league as well. And he's a blue-collar dude from... Jersey and tough as nails, right? Like a big red bearded caveman, you know? Uh, and, and one of my dear friends, and I remember he came up to me in the cafeteria, he goes, doggone, dude, Diaz. He goes, every time I turn around, I see you. I think I work hard. I've never seen anybody work as hard. He goes, where have you been? How come you haven't been in the league? I go, I just didn't really work out, you know? And sure enough, maybe it didn't work out. But I knew as long as I was playing, and growing, I was getting better. I never wanted to blame anybody else or injuries. They're going, man, boy, you really got screwed. I never, ever thought of it like that. Because now that's outside of my control. And one thing I've learned along my way 
It's an inside-out job, not an outside-in job. Absolutely. And once you find that, you learn that accountability to yourself, you're on to something. And sure enough, I went down to the very last cut and Bob McKittrick, one of the all-time great offensive line coaches, and I probably should have made that team. A lot of people told me that. And Bob McKittrick told me that. And he was awesome. Ex-Marine, tough as nails, great coach. He was one of those guys that always helped you with your jersey on. And I remember after the game, he goes, he goes, David, because it came down last cut. He goes, I've never had anybody work as hard for me as you have. He goes, it was up to me, you'd be here. He goes, but it's not up to me. I got to understand, coach. But if that's true, help me get a job somewhere. I know I can play. He goes, Dave, you can play in this league. Next thing you know, I get a job in CFL in Sacramento. Another one of the dubious distinctions I have in my career. <laughs> uh, playing in the Canadian Football League in Sacramento, California, right up the road. So I ended up going there, and and I felt like that was a victory. Yeah, I didn't make the team. But I earned the respect of a lot of guys on, on one, one of the all-time great teams in the NFL. Sure. And those guys are still friends of mine to this day. Because I think of the way I handled myself, not because I was a great player, but because what I showed of myself uh, under those circumstances. And so, because a lot of times it's not easy to do. If you know you're going to get cut and you there's a lot of noise out, especially towards the end, I see it happen to this day as a coach where guys can't handle that at the end when the numbers are getting down, do it. You're either going to be there or you're not going to be there. Can you continue to work even though the outcome may not be what you want it to be? So are you experience-driven, purpose-driven, or are you outcome-driven, right? And if you focus on those things you can control, your effort and your attitude, yes. then, you know, if you don't, it, it, it's a way of, uh, it, it's, it's, as you said, keeping the contract with yourself. And, and I know, I've heard uh, a guy that I follow quite a bit talk about the fact that's, that's how he, he believes that's how people develop self-confidence, is you keep those contracts with yourself that you make. And I want to go back. I wrote a note when you were talking that there's a piece of this that it is uh, – I don't want to gloss over because for you it was the inside-out expression of your confidence in yourself to be there first and to be the last guy off the field. And, and to be you the do it for a week. And, and Can't to, do it for six weeks. Exactly. Can't well, do it for a career. Bingo. And, and in my mind, that's one of the ways I define leadership. It's not just about stringing together those small wins and stacking them, which is a great way to put it and is exactly how I look at it. You know, people don't give themselves credit for the small wins. They look at, at, at distance. The small wins leads to big wins. Big time. Big time. And <laughs> you ask everybody. A lot of people just see the end of result. Oh, my gosh. He won two Super Bowls. <laughs> He's never been cut. He's never had any adversity. You know? And I, you have to fight that sometimes when you share your, your story or your experiences with kids or people. They go, no, no, no. Cut eight times, buddy. <laughs> That's told no. That hurts. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you. But it's okay. You and but those those scars, be they emotional or whatever, from being cut, also provide a a reason and an opportunity for growth and to become a stronger player, a stronger man, a stronger athlete, um, both mentally as well as physically. And 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 obviously, you know, we kind of to that point of the on the precipice of talking about this now. You you have gone through. Uh, a lot of that 
angst and that hardship and and come through the uh, the last piece with the uh, Sacramento team as you said the dubious distinction of playing in Sacramento in the Canadian Football League and then you get a lot of those. you get an <laughs> yeah you get an opportunity to uh, to play for the Denver Broncos and um, it, it's not uh, lost on anybody that follows football the amount of talent that that team had uh, when you talk about it. and I've been very blessed to meet a couple of those guys um, but Super Bowls 32 and 33 back-to-back wins uh, on a team that um, uh, was uh, exceptionally talented, but also very balanced. Uh, talk a little bit about now the kind of the the the, the crowning achievement, not 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 the all of a sudden ability to brag or gloat, but the amount of uh, potential pride I would presume that you felt uh, stepping into that role, and then all of a sudden achieving that greater degree of success than you may have along the way, even with all of those smaller wins. I mean, kind of walk us through that that piece. Let me take one step back okay. first before I do that, because after I got cut from the 49ers, I went to the Sacramento Gold Miners in 93 and 94, and actually the 49ers tried to bring me back at the end of 93 mm-hmm. before they went on their Super Bowl run, kind of in, I think, November or something like that. And uh, my team, the Gold Miners, I think it was Tom Bass was the GM back then. He would not release me out of my contract. And I go, Tom, I've made you guys better. I'm a team captain. And I've always tried to make the team better. Right. And I go, you're not going to let me out of my contract to do something that's better. And he goes, no, in fact, we're going to exercise our option too. I said, all right. So, I mean, I was disappointed. But I knew I was still doing what I love. I was playing pro football. I was getting paid for it. I wasn't going to pay that much. It was still good money to me. Sure. Because I work full-time in the offseason. I think life couldn't get any better, right? I mean, $3,700 a week playing pro football, and I was working for a title company in the offseason. Shoot, things were great. Things were couldn't get any better. I always still wanted to play. So after my stint there, I'm getting ready to sign a, a three-year deal back in Canada, be the highest-paid offensive lineman, in the league, and I get a phone call from the Denver Broncos. Be it this whole time in the background, Jack Elway has always been trying to get the Broncos to sign me because he's in the scouting department. Bring this guy in. If you put him in a phone booth, he'll come out with anybody. They go, oh, is he really big enough? Is he this? Is he that? All those things you hear along the way. And and so once again, Mike Shanahan gets the job in Denver. Mike Shanahan was the offensive coordinator for the 49ers when I was there when I failed, quote-unquote, with the 49ers. So all that work, all that thing came in that looked like an apparent failure leads me to CFL. I continue to play. I continue to get better. As long as you're playing, you get better. Sure. As long as you're working, you get better at anything. You put energy into anything, it has to grow. It's it's one of the uh, principles of the universe, right? And so next thing you know, I get a call from the 49ers. And guess who was there? Jack Elway's put my name up. And Mike Shanahan saw my name on the board. He goes, I remember you from 93. You should have made the team. He goes, I need players like you on our team. Everyone respected your work ethic. Everyone talked about you. And I go, Mike, I'm about to sign a three-year deal in Canada. You know, it's, I take care of my mom. It's me and my current wife. We weren't married yet. Or were we married? No, we weren't married yet. Um, and in my mind, I'm going, what do I do? 
thinking of my obligations and people I'm accountable to. And I remember talking to my wife, and I, I, I love her dearly for this because she goes, no, you do what you got to do awesome. because we'll always be all right. And that gave me the freedom to do it. And I go, Mike, if this is a real deal, let me know. If it's not, let me know. I'm fine either way. And he goes, it's a real deal. So I end up signing that contract with the Broncos and going on to play another seven years. Retired when I was 38, won two Super Bowls with them. But if I would have been unwilling to take that risk back with the 49ers where I had nowhere to go, the end of the road, and people are telling me, you've done a great job. you played more than anybody. Just hang it up. See, it wasn't their dream. It was my dream. Absolutely. And that's some of the noise you hear and from good, good intending people, from sure. coaches, friends, people. But they don't know what I really want and what I'm willing to do or not do to get it. But from willing to take that risk, it paid off three years later in 1995. And that led me on my journey to the Denver Broncos. And it's kind of been documented, too, by the Washington Times, W, the, the ultimate underdog, talking about my journey this, to the Super Bowl. And I remember my first start to get back to my career. What happened? My first start was in the Metrodome against John Randall. And I had Stinka got hurt the week before against Cincinnati, and I played really well. And that's one of the things I felt the best about when I was there. First of all, I was on practice squad at the age of 30. Maybe I was even 31 then. Practice squad. That was the happiest day of my life. When I called my mom and told her I finally made it, that was one of the best days of my life. And I never worked so hard. I was, I was living my dream. I didn't care if it was a practice squad or what. I was there. I finally got a team picture. <laughs> I know a ton of guys I was way better than them and have all these team pictures that never played, you know? And so... Um, that's a great perspective. It really is. You know, that's all I really wanted, you know? And, and all of a sudden, I was there. And then 96, I there, I got a chance to go in. I played really well. I felt so good after that game because I didn't let my teammates down. And Stinky even goes, he goes, Doc, he goes, I don't even, you don't even know what you just did. You went in there and played so well. He goes, that doesn't happen. And the next week he's out, so I get the start against John Randall. And during the week, Alice Gibbs, one of the all-time great offensive line coaches and the guy that um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for, one of the best teachers I've ever been around, smartest guy I've ever been around, crazy. And I've watched him coach. like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> but he made me. Because he, he tried to break me. I wasn't going to be broken. But I thought after my first time there, I go, I call my wife, I'm either going to kill him or he's going to cut me. I don't know what's going to happen. This guy hates me. And he called me everything up and down, undressed me. And I'm sitting there going, I am not going to give in. I am not going to give in. And I didn't. And I became one of his favorite players. And I love the guy. Because he's the one who spoke up for me. He goes, look, all these other high-paid guys, he's better than all of them. we got to keep him. And he fought for me, and he did. That's awesome. So that first start against John Randall in the Metro Dome, it was built his biggest mismatch in the NFL that year. Who's this guy that's been cut eight times? <laughs> he played against, you know, Hall of Famer. Hall of Famer. And I got yeah. a lot of respect for John. In fact, I just spoke to him a few months ago. But um, NBC interviewed me the night before the game. Uh, it was NBC or CBS, I can't remember which one it was, you know, about this matchup. And I couldn't sleep. And I, t- I told him, I go, look, he's going to get everything I got. 
I go, that's all I'm going to tell you. I go, yeah, my journey's been a little different, but I've always been on play. I know how to fight somebody. In fact, that's when I could go to sleep that night, I called my older brother. I go, dude, I, I, I can't sleep. He goes, hey, man, just go do what you've always done. Just go fight him. Go fight him. And sure enough, we went out the next day, and it was snowing, trying to get late to the locker room. Me and Stink take a taxi over. It's tough. I'm, like, panicking. And, you know, and all those things happen. Night, and right before the game during the National Anthem, John Randall has his face paint on, his face mask in his mouth, and dueling his pistols at me. I'm going, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Not quite in those, in those terms. But I go, you're going to get everything I got. And the very first play of the game, we run wide zone left, which was one of our staple plays in our Denver Broncos offense. And, I, you know, I've got a good supporting crew around me. i got Gary Zerman, Hall of Fame left tackle. Tommy Nalen, who deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, at center. We run wide zone left, and I come flying off the ball. Ah! And after the other play, I just freak out and start swinging at him. <laughs> I come back. I can barely breathe in the huddle. <laughs> I look around. I get in the huddle. I go, think of me. I just pissed him off, boys. <laughs> <laughs> we always we go on to win the game last two minutes of the game uh, Eddie McCaffrey in the end zone part of John Elway's two minute comebacks so another one of them right sure we win the game and it is awesome and up shutting out John Randall zero tackles zero sacks and because we had a great plan you know but I remember going locker room after and it wasn't about what I did it was about not letting my teammates down and we won the game. And just made me realize, and what I learned from that, you could do anything. If you're connected to something bigger than you, if you seek the help of others, and you have a plan. We had a great plan. We slid to them. I knew where my help was. I knew what was going on. I had the support of great teammates around me. And it wasn't about me. It was something bigger than me. It was about my family. It was about, you know, my son that wasn't born yet. It was about not letting the team down. And that was awesome. That's what made it great. And the, those lessons are the ones I learned right there and continue to learn about that. Not letting your teammates down, you can do anything. I ended up going on, winning a couple of Super Bowls and, and, and playing a lot of football. And, and the game's been really good to me. And I think I've been good to the game. Well, I can tell you from personal experience, uh, and, and you know, that's, I, I, as I said, you know, being blessed to work with a lot of great guys. The two things that have really impressed me about yourself and a number of other guys that I've had the opportunity to work with is that, first of all, I think a lot of people in the uh, realm of fandom put players and teams up on such a pedestal. Uh, and and there's there's this mindset that I think a lot of people develop that is a lot of guys that play pro sports because of some of the things they see in the press and certainly social media now, you know, develop this attitude of people being divas. And what I learned was all you guys that I knew and associated with, and maybe as the ones the I was majority, going to, majority guys they're just they're just guys. guys. They're just guys. They're dads. Their yeah, fathers, their absolutely. husbands. Who love the game of football. Yeah. And, and I can tell you from personal experience and observation, you have given back. And that's what, as I said, what drew me to you in terms of uh, your, your coaching uh, techniques. 
is is and and I don't. It's lost on a lot of people. I, I, there's another guy, a similar situation, um, didn't enjoy a whole lot of success in his case with regard to making it to the highest level. But a lot of people wrote him off. But I've never seen a guy who could coach at a at an eighth grade level and break down the position of quarterback like he did. You know, he's just tremendous. So I I, I really uh, appreciate and applaud that. And and the way that. Um, the way you just talked about, uh, you know, kind of the, the piece on uh, something bigger than yourself. I just don't – I think it's lost on a lot of kids as they come up um, it, because we live in the social media era, because of instant gratification. So many kids today, it, it, it really is. It becomes about them. And if they don't believe it themselves, they believe it because their parents start to hear it and believe it. And, and too many times, I think that what you described is a process that you went through of being uh, hungry, uh, playing victor, not being a victim, and believing in something bigger than yourself, that concept of you've got one-eleventh of the responsibility on your side of the ball. And if you do your job to the best of your ability and the other 10 guys do too, you can be successful as a team. Right. And 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 I, I just think that that's lost on a lot of people today. Um, I want to uh, and and I and I thank you for 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 saying it that way because I think that um, so many times um, it it uh, at the professional level, uh, especially when someone achieves success, uh, it like it, like in music and so many other things where you are in the limelight. Uh, when someone achieves success, I think many times fans and and observers. Uh, see that and go, wow, you know, that guy's a stud, he's a freak of nature, he's da-da-da, but they don't realize that there was 10, 12, 15 years of hard work that went into <laughs> getting to that point, yeah. you know, and that success, yeah, and that success doesn't come overnight, and right. and I, I compliment you Much on, like yeah, the, absolutely, and that's that's one of the things I love about this game more than anything else, is, is the corollaries that, that you can develop in terms of teaching life skills on the field that apply to everything else off the field. You know, and one thing I really learned along the way that I want to share with you uh, quickly is we talked a lot about fear. And I used to be motivated by fear, and I knew a lot of great players are motivated by fear. Fear of this, and I used to be motivated by I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like that. And I used to argue with my, my degrees in studies and behavior. And I used to argue with my psychology teachers going, hey, fear can be a positive motivating factor. Until one day I sat down with this guy that asked me to counsel this young football player that was struggling with some issues and he goes I think the guy could relate to you another young Hispanic kid and um, and I said absolutely he goes but first let's have lunch and so I start telling this guy my theory right <laughs> of how I've gone he goes hey listen great Dave he goes and this guy hit me right between the eyes like I've never been hit but it changed my life and my way of thinking because he goes Dave great that is awesome yes fear can be a positive motivating factor you know that was my premise right of my argument that I'm that I'm sharing with this man and he goes hey that's great he goes but now imagine the difference between running away from something and running towards something you get to the same place but there's a different energy involved one is cumbersome one is draining one is limited the other is liberating instead of deciding what you don't want to be decide what you want to be and go for it and that changed my whole way of thinking. That's profound. Because I think I was fear-driven a lot. And I was disappointed, you know, like getting hurt, untimely things. I'm sitting there going, what is it? What is it? What is it? And all of a sudden I realized, I go, look, I can decide to be whatever I want. I can create 
my own experiences where that's as a father, I'm not victim to anything. I can create and develop and have a relationship with my son and my daughter, the one I want. I don't have to be victim based on my relationships or anything else. You see that affect people in all areas of their lives. Absolutely. And, I, and when I learned that, man, that was powerful. I can decide where I want to be and, and where I want to go. So you become purpose-driven. Absolutely. I and, love that. And, and that, that changed, really, my mindset. That's a, uh, that's a great lesson learned that I hope a lot of the, both athletes but as well as parents would take away from this. Um, I want to get into real quick as we sure. kind of wrap up here, uh, do a little thing I call the two-minute drill, just eight quick questions. Uh, and, and these are all – the purpose behind doing this for each guy's perspective is really to kind of give everybody a little bit of common ground in terms of how each person thinks. Not that everybody thinks the same, but everybody's gone through similar experiences, and each guy's approach is a little different, and his memories or, or recollections may be different. So um, first and foremost, if you have one, what would be a, a favorite youth sports memory that jumps out in your mind that may have been impactful in your life? I, I really think – my first one was when I rode my bike down there by myself, determined to play football, and I was told no. And I worked out that whole next year, <laughs> running, whatever it was, working out back then. Sure, sure. You know, but it, to me it was. I'm going, okay, I'm going to play. And I showed up, best shape of my life at 10. <laughs> and, and it really made me realize that, boy, I want to. I'm going to show this guy I can play. And I could have played last year. And, and to me that always sticks out because that's just one of those things that I remember of those coaches and, and that whole staff of Frank Sanzone, a guy I got to know years later and got to meet his son when he heard me on the radio and then looked me up and he goes, hey, I was your 10-year-old coach. That's cool. And he always like, I would have never went to a Warriors game. We weren't. He would take us places. Whether he knew I needed it or not, he had incredible impact. That's good. That's great. And and I, I think I feel the same way. And I, I don't know that a lot of youth coaches necessarily realize that at the time, in the moment, you don't. Years later, you may, if you made make that kind of yeah. impact on a young person. But um, if you have one favorite play from your college careers, there is not necessarily one that you made, but one that you were instrumental in or whatever when you were at San Jose State. I don't know if there's any one particular play. Um, I think – I think really, I, I wouldn't say it's a play. I would just say our, our, the turnaround of our team mm -hmm. from 2-8-1, and one, the biggest turnaround at that point in college football. We were on the cover of Sports Illustrated Game of the Year. We beat Fresno State in overtime. Um, just that team, how special it was. And I remember after our 2-8-1 season, it was no one knew who we had. We were devastated by injury. And, and that San Jose State-type schools, injuries are the difference, the depth and the quality sure. of your lineups. And so – I remember going up before the team telling them, hey, look, <laughs> we're going to win this thing. No one knows who we have in this room except for us. So it's about us. Like, I'm telling you right now, this is what we're going to do. We will do it. I go, because I know who we have. I know how tough we are. I know how good we could be. And sure enough, it came to fruition. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, favorite non-football activity nowadays? What do, you, what, do you, uh, what do you pursue if you have a little extra time on your hands? Hmm. Probably haven't been reading as much as I normally do. The more time I have, it seems like maybe the less I've done because I'm, you know, I'm not coaching this fall. But uh, uh, probably golf. I, I love playing golf. 
That's yeah. that's a pretty common. I like thing. hanging out with my buddies. Yeah, and 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 it's it's a uh, it's something you can do in the heat and have fun and not have to wear pads and sweat. You yeah, know? So exactly. It's like, yeah, uh, I can have a cold beer with it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> if you uh, um, if you have one singular or maybe more than one uh, from your uh, pro career, best NFL teammate. Uh, probably uh, Mark Schlereth, Stink. You certainly referred to him. We were roommates in training camp all those years, and he was. Uh, we were best friends. We were teammates. It was it was more than that because we helped. Even when I was playing for him, and when I played well, Mark actually went to the coach and going, "Hey, Doc's played so well. If you think he needs to play before me, I mean that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's selfish. it. Becomes so much. And our whole team was like that though, and that's what made our team so special. That's what this ring symbolizes. And and Mark and I's relationship probably epitomized that because we'd work together after practice. Hey, we need to work on this step. We need to do this. There's no even when I was starting when he was hurt, it was never about taking his job. It was about doing my job, and he was there to support me. And when he was starting, and I was back him because my value to the team was really a guy could play all five positions, especially inside three. Mm-hmm. That became my value because not everybody could do that. Stinkos, he goes, no, not too many guys going because I'd play all three positions sometimes. In a game, he goes, I only knew one other guy who could do this, Raleigh McKenzie. And he goes, but he, we were always there supporting each other. And that connection and being roommates in tra- training camp, sharing that misery together in the old training camps up in Greeley, uh, I think that really bonded us. Uh, and we're still close. That's cool. That's cool. Uh, favorite movie? Are you a movie guy? Yeah. Probably all-time favorite movie is The Power of One. Good choice. I recommend it to a lot of people about a young man's journey in South Africa during apartheid and finding the beat of your own drum. Cool. I love it. Favorite coach at any level? Doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, any particular level, but would somebody stick out? You mentioned one of them a minute ago. Yeah, Alex Gibbs, certainly. Um, Because he drove me to be the best, and I found out that's one thing I could do, is I could outwork people. That became one of my strengths. That could outlast you, yeah, and, I, he, and he brought that out of me. That's and that, and that's that's a common theme of guys that I talk to. It's it's uh, oftentimes the favorite coach, or one that's most memorable, is the one that is able to get more out of us than we even believed we had available. And and that's it's kind of the talent of you know some of the great coaches you know across the. And the other guy's Andy Reid. I played for him for a year after I got cut from the Broncos. Uh, I have so much respect for him as a person. The way he treated me, brought me in to be a leader, show those young teams, the young Don and the McDab teams, before they became mm-hmm. four or five-time NFC champions. Um, I really enjoyed my time there and playing for him because uh, he was honest, he was fair, and ob- objective of our his evaluation of our team. Cool. And I always appreciated that, of where we were at and how we're perceived. And I saw where they were going. It's good to see them, and see him to have his continued success because he's that good of a person. And that's a, a in a in a city like Philly, and the reputation deserved or not that they have. That's probably a value commodity on a football team. <laughs> it's so. all and more of that. Yeah, <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah, that's awesome. I fit right in. Um, favorite snack food. Mm. Boy, favorite snack food. Chicharrones, 
because I'm on the keto thing, so it's a good little fat source, and it's not like <laughs> potato chips. <laughs> goes good with beer or micheladas. Yeah. So. <laughs> Maybe chicharrones become my favorite lately. Cool. Or a good protein bar and coffee. There you and go. Coffee. Well, that's that's one of my favorite morning combinations right yeah. there when I get yeah. back from the gym. Um, if you have one, uh, kind of to wrap up the two minute drill. Do you have a single or maybe a set of greatest NFL memories? I, I, I think winning our two Super Bowls, and really the first one, Super Bowl 32. Um, I don't think we ever thought we were as good as historically we turned out to be mm-hmm. when you look at the players on our team. Um, just how we believed in each other, the quality of guys we had, the selflessness that it took to get there, and the fact that we weren't supposed to win. Green Bay was, we were underdogs by 13 points, I think. But we had that quiet confidence in the locker room that we knew we were going to beat them. And that was awesome to be a part. And to see it come, um, not only for the Denver Broncos franchise, but for John after how close he'd been all those years. Sure. Um, I think our whole team was uh, had a true sense of happiness for him. And that's that's an, when you as a person or you as an organization can have joy for other people's success. I think you've reached another level, and that's a good thing. Some people can't enjoy other people's joy. And when you're able to do that as a person or as a team, it's pretty cool. Well, it allows you to reach what most people would probably call some level of fulfillment as opposed to just the satisfaction of doing something well yourself. But, again, going back to your theme of something bigger than you, you know, the contribution you make along the way. It's not the trophy. It's not the ring. I always share that with people. It's what this symbolizes. Exactly. The sacrifice people made. Hey, it can't be about me. Or, hey, I'm going to gut this out because it's, it's about the team. Sure. And that's what I love about playing the game that's what I love about coaching the game now is sharing those lessons and teaching young people men how to be more how to play smarter how to play tougher how to connect your teammates because again coaching is just teaching sure and it's your ability to connect primarily and be able to communicate that's what that's what it really is and that's why I love it and that's why I love the game. It's kind of brought me to where I am today. Well, you just encapsulated uh, I, I, what exactly the way I was going to use a great segue into kind of the conclusion of this thing is it's it's those types of thoughts uh, and desires and realizations, I think, that we go through that that really get at the, the whole idea for the good of the game. And that's uh, so many great messages that you brought us today. And I appreciate not only taking the time to be here and, and uh you know, as a friend and colleague, I really appreciate uh, the, the friendship throughout the years and you taking the time uh, with your busy schedule, especially this weekend with everything you've got going on with your family uh, to come in and talk. But but a lot of the things that you spoke of today are valuable messages that uh, that kids and parents need to hear. And I hope that everybody out there, uh, you know, that may listen to this will, will pay attention and take something away uh, that you can use, stick in your hip pocket and have there for uh, that time that you may be challenged or you may hear that voice in your head and you need a little bit of that encouragement. Uh, I go back to the inside out versus the outside in. I've always been a very reactive guy from a motivation standpoint. A- external stimuli get me fired up. The problem with that is in the long term when the external stimuli stop, where do you get? Where do you draw your motivation from? Well, well as men too, we're taught the quicker we react, the better. So... You look at me, I look at you. You hit me, I hit you. 
in the game of football. Boom, boom, reactions are there, right? That's what we teach. That's what we, But I prefer to look at it as a proactive response. The difference between action and reaction, the space in between is your free will, and that's what makes us uniquely human, and that's your gift from, from God. And that's what you have to do. And so instead of action, reactions, action, and proactive response based on the desired outcome. Absolutely. And that's the chain. And once we get our mind to start thinking like that, we become purpose-driven and we're on the path to achieving whatever that objective is, if that makes sense. Absolutely. David, I really appreciate you taking the time to come down today. It was awesome. Great great catching up. Yeah, I really was. One of my favorite guys always. Always took care of us when we were doing those camps. Well, I appreciate it. Got to know a lot of great people, and you're certainly one of them. Well, I'll tell you that uh, kind of, and that may be a little bit of a reason for the connection, because I appreciated being able to take care of the team, and you know, because you guys were the ones doing the work and imparting the knowledge. So if you're interested and you don't have time to actually watch the video, we also will have an unedited version of the audio podcast uh, for for the good of the game with David Diaz and Fonte that'll be on all the streaming services. So don't forget to check that out. And until next time, remember, no matter what you do with the game of football, do it for the good of the game. Take care.